Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace If there's one phrase that's drastically overused in the world of advertising, it's this, new and improved. This repetition has devalued the strength of the term, so today, when we talk about the new things that God is preparing to do, you need to put your thinking cap on and imagine the purest, most powerful form of the term new. In Revelation 21, we find a stark declaration from the Lord. Behold, I make all things new. Under that banner is a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Like he said, all things made new. Wow, that can blow the brain circuits, but take a deep breath and open your Bible device to Revelation chapter 21 and prepare for what Pastor Al Pittman has to say in a strong message titled, A Glimpse of Eternal Glory. Here we go. So just a lot of information here. You know, everybody wants to go through the book of Revelation and have all the answers. Uh, we don't have all the answers, but God gives us a glimpse into glory. And that's the title of this message, A Glimpse of Eternal Glory. We now come to the conclusion of this glorious book. We have seen the thousand year reign of Christ. We have seen Satan being cast into an everlasting hell. We have seen the great white throne judgment. And now we come to see the new heaven and the new earth coming into being. Now these things, again, it's hard for us to get our little minds around them, uh, about, around these eternal things, but they will indeed come to pass. Why? Because God is faithful and true. He mentions it throughout our text that he is faithful. These things that we are studying that are yet future are faithful and true. This is our ir irrevocable eternal destiny for every believer in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is where we are going, and we thank God for this glorious look into the future. Beginning in chapter 1, let's read verses 1 to 4. Read along with me. Now I saw, John writes, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a, as a bride, emphasis on as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All the temporal things, amen, all the former things are now passed away. All the things that people will lie, sometimes cheat, steal, and sell their souls to possess are all gone. And the new heaven and the new earth has come into being. Well, what happened to the old heaven and the old earth? Well, first, when it talks about the new heaven and the new earth, the new heaven uh, is not the abode of God, not where God abides. It is not the celestial heaven. Uh, that, is, that is the stars and the planetary uh, heavens. It is our atmosphere that is around this earth, and the earth itself will be renewed. The Bible says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. 
The Bible says that the devil is, uh, or the world rather, is under the influence, the sway of the devil. So that which the devil has contaminated, if you will, will be completely renovated, will be made new. Peter gives us an idea of what that will look like when the old earth and the old heaven passes away. If you will turn with me to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll read about it. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. So Peter tells us how it's going to happen. It's going to dissolve. Dissolve, it literally means, that word dissolve literally means loosen or to break up or to melt, as Peter mentions here in, uh, in, in, in his words that he's given us there in Second Peter chapter 3. I would add that despite the hysteria that many have today about the fact that the planet is going to end, world is going to end in 12 years or whatever, Despite all the hysteria, let me just set the record straight. It is God who would destroy the earth and not man. Some of you remember when Saddam Hussein set all the oil fields on fire. And all I remember the hysteria back then. Oh, it's going to block out the sun. We're going to become an ice ball, you know. Uh, It's going to contaminate all the waters. We're going to be poisoned and all of that. And yet here we are. Why? Because the Bible tells us that it is God who renews the earth. Now, it doesn't mean that we should exploit the environment, that we should protect the environment and all of that. But the reality is that it is God who renews the earth. Psalm 104, Psalm 104, verse 30 tells us that if you're taking notes, Psalm 104, verse 30. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, for by him, that is by Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him. And for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. What does it mean, all things consist in him? That literally means, it's from the Greek word, sinustao, and it means to set or to hell be held together. In other words, it is not our environmental programs that will hold the world together, but that Jesus Christ is literally holding the world together. In him all things consist. The world is being held together by the power of God. Not by the will of man or our env- environmental programs. Amen. And so therefore, it's a great spiritual lesson there for us uh, in our lives is that when we feel like our world is falling apart. Amen. That it is Jesus who is holding you together. You may feel that you're falling apart today. Amen. But in him, all things consist. He's the one that's holding us together. You say, I don't know how I made it this far because the Lord has held you together. In him all things consist. Verse 1 goes on to tell us the latter part that there will be no more sea here in Revelation 21. There will be no more sea. And, of course, you know, uh, you know, if you're into surfing and stuff, you're, like, totally bummed out right now. 
Well, there would be no more sea. It says there would be no more sea. It doesn't say there would be no more water. So there would be a redistribution, if you will, of the waters, a new geographical arrangement of the waters on the earth, possibly to provide more land for the inhabitants of the new earth. In verse 2, John saw the new Jerusalem coming, descending from heaven, that is from the abode of God. And it's adorned again as, emphasis on as a bride. It is not the bride because the bride is the bride of Christ. The bride is the church. Amen. But it is adorned as a bride in beauty and splendor. This new Jerusalem represents the fact that God desires a tabernacle with mankind, which was God's original intent. Remember in the garden, that was God's original intent to a tabernacle to dwell with mankind. The Bible says he, he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And sin has brought, driven a wedge between mankind and God. But God's going to bring back that original relationship into with the entire world as his, uh, the new Jerusalem comes here to the earth in the Lord tabernacles with mankind. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have you cried lately? The Bible says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And not only every tear, but every, the cause for every tear. The Bible says there will be no more death. You wept over loved ones that have gone on before you. There will be no more sorrow. Disappointments and things that cause us to sorrow. There will be no more crying. Wetting your pillow late at night. Wondering how you're going to make it. And there'll be no more pain. Isaiah 65 verse 17. The prophet says. The Lord God says. For behold. I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered. Or come to mind. Did you hear that? In this new heaven and this new earth. People wonder. Are we going to recognize each other? Of course we will. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, they recognize Moses and Elijah. How? Instinctively, they recognize them. We will recognize each other in our glorified bodies. Amen. But the former things, the things that have hurt us, people who've messed us up, we think we're going to be in heaven, you know, amusing, uh, you know, amusing over somebody, some offense that happened to us. Or you see somebody in heaven like, I don't want to see them in heaven. You know. I'm going to stay on this side of glory. You stay over there, but I don't want, you know, that's that, that, going to be none of that drama in heaven. You won't even remember the former things. In fact, it won't even come to your mind. What a glorious day it will be because the glory of God is going to be so awesome, my friend, that it will overshadow whatever offense, whatever difficulty, whatever pain, whatever sorrow you've experienced in this life. It will be over. It won't even come to your mind. How many things come to your mind now that cause you anxiety things from the past mistakes you've made situations people who have offended you and you sit there and you muse over them and you know on your lunch break oh I can't wait the new heaven and new earth they won't even come to mind amen fade away how many of us remember the offense that we suffered in kindergarten Amen. Do you muse about that person who dumped that carton of milk on your head? You've forgotten all about it. It doesn't even come to mind. So we'll be in glory. Praise his holy name. 
Amen. Verses 5 to 7. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are, there it is, true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. To him who thirsts, you got to be thirsty. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That word son is universal. It literally means kinship. In the Greek, kinship, you're part of the family. Amen. He who sat on the throne, who's speaking there, sat on who, the one sitting on the throne? Who's that speaking? That is God speaking. God is speaking there, and he says, it is done. And when God says it is done, just as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything from it. He said it is finished concerning your salvation. Why are we trying to add something to it? There's nothing we can add to it or take away from it. It is finished. And when God finishes something, man, it is done. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Why is that important? Because Jesus says the same thing about himself. He said it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And what's the Alpha and Omega? For those of us who are maybe new to the Bible, what is that all about? The Alpha is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. God says, I'm the beginning and the, and, and, uh, I'm the, beginning and the end. I, I always was. I've always existed. I'm self-existent, all within myself. There's no beginning, and there's no end with God. And Jesus claimed that same thing about himself. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, he will do it also again in Revelation chapter 22. We'll see in a moment, verse 13. And being one with God, he's the one who's able to offer to us that living water freely. Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water, that is the water of this world, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. For the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Through faith in Christ. Our soul can be quenched. Through faith in Christ, the Bible says here that we are overcomers. And those who overcome, the Lord said, I will be his God and he shall be my son. And the Bible says we overcome through Jesus Christ. First John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, who are they who overcome? But those who have, who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have overcome the world. We're overcomers through Jesus. First John chapter, four, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Verse 8, the Bible says, and this is just a Lord stating a very fact about this new heaven and new earth. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And we just read about that in Revelation chapter 20 at the great white throne judgment. That all who were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the, the lake that burns with everlasting fire. It says all those, these individuals listed here, talked about murderers, those who commit homicide and the abominable, those who are perverted and detestable and sexually immoral, sexually immoral individual. That word, uh, the Greek word for sexually immoral is the word 
pornos or pornea, which we get our word pornography. And uh, speaking of those who are, who are uh, caught up in, in that, given to that. And sorcerers, it speaks of uh, those who are given over to drugs. It's not just magical can, you know, incantations or whatever, but, uh, or spells, what have you. But uh, speaking of those who are caught up in drugs like cocaine and, and, and uh, fentanyl and all that um, uh, type of thing, you know, for pleasure. And, and to, you know, this is uh, word sorcery, sorcerers there, those who practice sorcery are those who, who rely upon magical, literally magical remedies that poison the mind, people seeking to get high. Now, if you're on medication prescribed by the doctor, that's not, that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about those who, who are getting high, using drugs for the purpose of getting high. The Bible calls it sorcery. And idolaters, those who worship idols, uh, Elevate anything above the Lord, whether literally or figuratively, uh, and, 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 and a, in a sense of worshiping it. And then liars, it says, will not be there as well. Why? Because the devil is the father of lies. And uh, liars, those who deal deceitfully, they will not be there in the new heaven and the new earth as well. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for every one of those sins listed there. And that those who may be murderers and idolaters and sexually immoral and whatever your sin is can come to Christ now and be completely and totally forgiven. Amen. He died for all of those sins. He died for every one of them. Through faith in him, we can be forgiven. Paul put it this way. I love reading this. He says, do you, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And do not be deceived, because a lot of people are deceived today. Even churches are deceived, because some of these sins I'm going to read here, some churches have said they're okay, but God is not, uh, is not a man that he should lie, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So the Lord says, don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Amen. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. Amen. Not by your good works, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Amen. Praise his holy name. Amen. All those sins can be forgiven that you might indeed inherit all things, as the Lord God says. Only the blood of Christ can take away the guilty stain of our sins. In verse 9, as we continue on, he says, John writes in one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me. And talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. What angel is this? Remember chapter 16, the seven bowl judgments that we studied. Uh, that's, he's talking about one of those angels involved in pouring out the seven bowl judgments came and spoke to him and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now he's basically saying, I'll show you the bride inhabiting the new Jerusalem. Because we know the Lamb's wife is the church. Amen. And so here, uh, 
he, uh, excuse me, <coughs> in verses 10 to 21, he shows John the new Jerusalem. He did, John describes the new Jerusalem adorned as a bride with the, in splendor and in beauty. Um, but uh, this is, let me just say, this is not, some have I've read where some people thought, oh, this is a second New Jerusalem. It's not a second New Jerusalem. It's the same uh, New Jerusalem that he started describing in verse 2. Now he's continuing that description here. And so here we have the description, verses 10 uh, to 18. Will you read along with me? Um, John says, verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, Descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper that is a greenish stone, clear as crystal. Verse 12, also he had a great and high wall. Uh, She had a great and high wall with 12 great gates, 12 angels at the gates, and the names Uh, names written on them, these names written on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. There were three gates to the east, three gates to the north, three gates to the south, and three gates to the west. Verse 14, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. These 12 foundations are above ground. They're not in the ground. And he, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man. The reason he says of a man, because he said these are literal measurements. This is not some metaphor or symbol. This is literally how large the city is. As a man, as a man, as a man, that is of an angel, an angel measuring the city, uh, but according to the measure of a man. The construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. Wow. Can't wait to see it. What blows my mind is the size of the city. Because, again, the measurements here, the measure of a man, he says it was 12,000 furlongs. One furlong is about 600 feet. And one furlong, 600 feet times 12,000, will put you at about 7,200,000 feet divided by 5,280 feet, which is one mile, equals a city squared 1,364 miles. That's the size of New Jerusalem. That's going to take up Saudi Arabia, down into Egypt, all over that region, this huge city. The walls are a clear greenish crystal color, it says. uh, You know, the walls of the city, not the foundation, but the walls, measuring... 144 cubits. One cubit is about 18 inches. 18 inches times 144. Do the math. That equals 2,592 inches divided by 12 inches, which is one foot, gives you 216 feet high walls. A massive city. In verses 19 and 21, John describes the 12 foundations, the colors of the 12 foundations, the gates and the streets 
of the city. He says the first foundation of this, this city would be Jasper, which is kind of a, and I'm going to give you the, the colors just so you can kind of envision maybe how, how colorful, how creative our God is for one thing. But the first foundation, this is from the bottom up, is Jasper, and it is a greenish crystal. The second is sapphire, a bluish stone. And then the third one is Chalcedony, I believe it's pronounced that way. It is a greenish blue stone. The fourth foundation is emerald, a greenish stone also. Uh, probably a different shade of, of the, as the other, from the other ones. Uh, the fifth foundation is uh, Sardonyx. Sardonyx is a bluish white stone streaked with brown or red. The sixth foundation is Sardius, a red stone. That's going to be cool. Amen. The seventh is Chrysolite, which is a yellow quartz stone. The eighth is Beryl, which is a yellow greenish stone. The ninth is Topaz. Uh, in its natural state, Topaz is a golden brown or yellow stone. The tenth is Chrysopaz, Praz, and it is a golden green stone. Uh, the eleventh foundation is Jasoneth. And uh, it is a orange or brownish stone. And then amethyst is at the very top, the 12th uh, foundation, a violet or purple stone. Amen. And so these are the foundations. That's, that's just the foundation. Amen. Having gotten to the walls of the city. Amen. And in verse 21 says the 12 gates of the city were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. One pearl. That's a huge oyster. Amen. One pearl <laughs> making each gate. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Amen. Verses 20, verse 22, Revelation 21. But I saw no temple in it. Hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved, this is the church, shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth uh, bring their glory and honor into it, bring their best to it. They'll come reverently to this new Jerusalem. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. The nations, mentioned twice. In the Greek, ethnos, ethnicities. Not talking about the United States and nations, but the peoples of the earth, of the inhabiting the new earth, will come and honor the Lord in the new Jerusalem. And there shall by no means enter, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Oh, what a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Amen. Praise his holy name. Praise his name. And so there would be no temple there. There would be no sun. There's no night. Don't have to work the night shift in, in the new heaven, I mean new earth. 
Amen. No night will be there. And the ethnos, the nations, will honor the Lord. Chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Let's read it together. (coughs) Excuse me. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Therefore, there shall be, excuse me, no night there. He mentions it again. They need no light, no lamp or light of the sun. For the Lord gives, the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign, how long? Forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. And John is shown a river. He saw a river there, a river of life. It is symbolic of life flowing from God. And that God is the creator of it, the creator of life. Psalm 46, the psalmist declares, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Amen. The nations raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Hallelujah. That's the hope that we have today. The Lord is with us. There is a river that flows from the very throne of God for our healing. Amen. For life, to give life to that which was dead. And that life is found through faith in Jesus Christ. No matter how dried up you are, no matter how decimated your life is, there's a river that gives life. Amen. To that which is dead. Praise his holy name. In verses 2 and 3, it says that on both sides of this river, there are, there's a tree of life, literally trees of life. Many believe that, that there are trees, these trees of life, line the river that flows from the throne of God and the Lamb there in the New Jerusalem. But it says here that, that um, these, uh, the nations are healed by the, the leaves of the tree. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know there's no sickness in the New Jerusalem, so what does it mean? I believe it is symbolic as the river, that as the river flows representing life, so the leaves of the tree, the tree is representative of the healing virtues of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the leaves of these trees, the very existence of these, these, these trees. These trees represent symbolically the cross, God's redemptive tree of life for you and for me that has brought healing to all ethnos to all peoples that has brought healing to the nations in fact it says because there is a tree of life there that it has nullified the curse there is no curse in the new jerusalem no curse in the earth paul says in galatians chapter 3 he says christ was has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. What did Jesus come to do? He came to be a curse for us. And then he goes on to explain. Paul says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a what? On a tree. 
Jesus hung on a tree. The cross was a tree of life for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through him. Amen. That we might be born again by the Spirit of God, by his death on the tree of life. So the trees of life represent the healing of the nations. But God put a tree of life in the garden in the very beginning. Amen. And now we see the tree of life here. But he provided for us a tree of life through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, who was cursed on a tree for us that we might have life everlasting. And verse 4 says that we will see his face. We will see his face. We will see the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Look forward to that day. And notice here in verses 3 to 5, where the throne of God and the Lamb resides, there is no curse and there is no darkness. It's the same for us today. Where the throne of Christ and the Father resides, the throne of God and the Lamb resides in the heart of an individual, there is no curse. There is no darkness. Amen? For God is light. Amen? And we must walk in the light, the Bible says, as Jesus is in the light. And there is no curse, there is no darkness, there is no night there where the throne of, the, of God and the Lamb res- resides. But rather, there are four attributes I find here of our relationship with Christ at that time, but that we can experience even now. The first one has to do with service. The Bible says that we will serve the Lord. Amen. We will serve him. And indeed, we serve him now. It says, and his servants shall serve him. That word service can literally be translated worship. We worship him. Another attribute of our relationship with the Lord is intimacy. The scripture says we will see him face to face. We will see his face. Another attribute, if you will, of our relationship with him is identity. You know, as believers, we know who we are. The Bible says we've been given a right through Jesus Christ to be called children of God. He has placed his mark upon our foreheads, the Bible says here. Amen. In verse 4. And then also, he is our light, verse 5. There's no need for any light there. Why? Because God gives them light. And Christ gives us light even now. He is our illumination. He gives us revelation. He gives us wisdom and understanding. He is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen. So those, virtue, those attributes apply to our lives even now. We don't have to wait till the new Jerusalem. Uh, they apply to our lives even right now. Now verses 6 to 11, as we continue on, it says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants, plural, the things which must shortly take place. And look at God's perspective, shortly must take place. And then Jesus chimes in in verse 7 and says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. What book? The book of Revelation. This is not something to be read and to be, oh, you know, it's just fantasy land. No, those who keep the words of this prophecy, who believe in them, in verse 8, now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I saw, heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and, I, and, and of your brethren, the prophet 
the prophets and of those who keep the word, words of this book. Then he says, worship God. He told him this one other time, right? Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, John is overwhelmed and he falls down to worship this angel that is revealing these things to him. And the angel says, don't do that. Don't worship me. Worship God. Amen. And so this is the second time he's having to tell John that. And I'm really encouraged by this. That, you know, like John, even John had to be reminded to not allow the distractions to, you know, to, to keep you from keeping the main thing the main thing. Amen. Even John had to be reminded. So I'm like, okay, all right, I'm cool. All right. Because God has to often remind me the same thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. What is that? Worship God. Did Jesus not say, seek ye first? Amen. The kingdom of God. Not second, not third, but first. And then all these other things will be added to you in your life. But seek first. Worship God. We're all, you know, wrapped around the axle of something and what we ought to be doing is worshiping God, seeking first his kingdom. That's the priority that we ought to have in our life. So he, re- he reminds John of this very thing. So uh, if John can mess up, I guess I'm, I'm in good company. Amen. We all need to be reminded of that. Verses 10 and 11, he says, do not seal the book. Amen. Here in verse 10, let me read it. He says, uh, And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Again, look at God's perspective. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. The time is short. Time is at hand. Don't even seal it. Don't have time to seal it. When Daniel received the end times prophecy, they said, seal this up. Because it is yet future. It's way off. But here he tells Jesus, I mean, he tells John, don't seal it up because it's going to happen real quick. Suddenly. And then in verse 11, what does this mean? He says, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Amen? So one counters the other. Unjust, righteous, filthy, holy. He's talking about the saved and unsaved. And so what is he, what is he saying here? He's basically saying the Lord is going to come so quickly, so suddenly, that in whatever state he finds you in, that you will continue in. That's what he's saying. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul declares, concerning the return of Jesus Christ, he says, I want to be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, not trying to be good enough, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. How will you be found when Jesus returns? Unjust, filthy, or righteous and holy. And we can't be righteous and holy in and of ourselves, or righteous and holy because of his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's not according to our goodness, but his righteousness. Amen. Paul said, I want to be found in his righteousness. Amen. I don't want to be found in my righteousness because my righteousness is not enough. Only Christ's righteousness is it will justify us before a holy God. In verses 12 to 15, Jesus speaking again in verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly. There he is. He's like, this is a warning, folks. We think we got all this time, and we're at the end. These are the last days. I'm coming quickly, and my reward, he's speaking to believers here, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. What work? Work for righteousness to earn our salvation? No, works 
that we have done in Jesus Christ. Our works will be judged in him, remember, the Bible tells us. And he has his reward with him. Then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last. Blessed are those who do, who do his commandments. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Amen. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. It's almost like, you know, they're, they're like giving us a little heads up saying, hey, come on. Blessed are those who do his word. You know, you can't just say, hear his word and, and just read his word, but we must do his word. We must put feet to our faith. Amen. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Amen. Outside, those who are outside of Christ. That sounds harsh, and it is harsh. I think the Lord means it to be harsh here, to wake mankind up to the very fact that apart from God, we are merely existing. We only exist in an animalistic state. We're just living for ourselves. We are trying to get all we can. It's all about us. You know, I mean, you know, and he, and he likens that to being like a dog, you know. My dog loves us and all that, but my dog, you know, doesn't, you know, eat to live. It lives to eat. I mean, I could be eating, you know, jelly beans just sitting right there. <laughs> Bananas. It doesn't matter. You know, I got popcorn. So I mean, I end up, you know, I spoil her. I end up throwing stuff on the floor. She's like, boy, she just sits there, you know. She's, and I just feed her. I just have just fed her. And she's still hungry. It's like, you know, it's a lab. Labs are known to just want to eat all the time. But, you know, like dogs, dogs are concerned about their, their own flesh. They do things dogs do. And sometimes we, you know, we, we, I've heard it said that we teach our children in school that they, they've evolved from, from animals. They're just a higher form of animals. And then when they act like animals, we're shocked. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, they act like animals. Well, what, what's wrong with you? Well, you said I was, a, I was an animal. I'm evolving, Dad. <laughs> Let me have the car keys. I don't know. <laughs> but the reality is that that's what we relegated ourselves to. And God is saying, let me tell you the truth. You know, you act like dogs, you know. <laughs> I mean, guys call each other dogs sometimes. Why do we call each other dogs? Amen. Hey, dog, what's up, dog? What's going on, dog? Because dog is out for himself, baby. Amen. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? All right. Anyway. So, you know, really. Yeah, that's, why, that's, that's the meaning behind that. Not calling you prince, calling you dog. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. He says, and whoever loves and practices a lie, the latter part of verse 15, that word practice, the Greek word poieo, it means to make, to specialize in sins. You know, you have to love a lie in order to reject the truth. You have to love a lie, the lie that, that, that everything, that, that you are your own God. You're the captain of your ship. That all the money is going to bring you satisfaction or more sex is going to make you happy. You have to love a lie in order to reject the truth. And those who love a lie, who practice a lie, those who, are, who make, you have to, it takes effort to make and to specialize in sin, to stand by that lie even when you're facing the truth. You have to love a lie in order to reject the truth. 
and people do it all the time. But the truth is, only God can satisfy your soul. Psalm 107 says, where he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. In verses 16 to 21, in verses 16 to 21, as we close out this great book, we have a testimony, we have a warning, and we have a promise. The testimony is of Christ. Jesus said, I, Jesus, amen. He wants you to know who he is. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. And the churches in particular that he's speaking about is, is the church as a whole, but in particular, the churches of Asia Minor. Remember, the book started out with the Lord addressing the churches, seven churches of Asia Minor. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. In other words, I am the Messiah. I am that bright and morning star. I'm the splendor and glory of my own kingdom. I am the hope of the world. I am that promised Messiah. And then he says, verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears come, say, come and let him who thirst come. You got to be thirsty. You got to be thirsty to come. Some people haven't come because they're not thirsty enough, but one day you'll be thirsty. But whoever thirsts, come. And then he says, whoever desires, let him take the water of life at no charge. At no charge. To whoever will come is freely offered the water of everlasting life through faith in Christ. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Why the spirit and the bride? Because the spirit has been placed in the world to convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. To draw men to Christ. In fact, no, no one can come to Jesus unless the Holy Spirit is drawing them. And the Holy Spirit is drawing some of you even today. Watching online over at Creekside or, or here in his auditorium in this building. God's speaking to you. You know it's God. And he sent his Holy Spirit to convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Where do we get our laws from? Where do we get the, the, the sense of right and wrong from? Where does it come from? Evolution? It comes from the Spirit of God. And the word of God that convicts the soul and the heart of man. The spirit says, come. Don't be condemned. Be set free. Don't die. Live. And the bride says, come. Who's the bride? The church. What is the message of the church? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we abandon the gospel for issues, social issues, and for, for all types of other philosophy that is in the world, we have lost our message. And we're no use to God. We're salt without savor to be thrown out onto the, world, the street of the world and to be trampled underfoot by men. We're no good to the kingdom of God. The bride say, come. And that's what we're doing at the Pikes Peak Center. When we meet there at Easter, we are going out telling the world to come. Amen. To the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is our message. This is our movement as the church. The second thing we find here is a warning. The testimony of Jesus, the second thing is a warning. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. John says, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are, which are written in this book. Now, some people, one, first and foremost, is a warning. 
you know, and this is why when I approach this book, I've told you in the beginning, I'm just going to teach as we go through it. There's some things we may speculate on, but I'm not going to add or I'm not, I'm not going to delete from it. There's some things written here. I just don't know, you know, the exact meaning of it, but I'm going to teach it as it is. And there's a warning to add or to delete from this book, not to mention the whole word, whole counsel of God, but in particular, this book. And so there's a warning here that he issues, uh, that, is, that John issues here to those who would do so. And people say, well, wow, and if you do that, you're going to lose your salvation because it says that he'll take your part away, you know, from the book of life. Well, listen, remember what I said last week. Everybody's written in the book of life. God blots names out. He doesn't add names. Remember, we talked about that. He blots the names out. When people reject Christ, when people turn away from God, he blots your name out. And my point here in saying that is that the people here are being blotted out because they've never been born again. They're adding to the book. They're deleting from the book. They've never been born again. Why do I say that? Because if you're adding to the word and deleting from the word, you don't believe the word. And without the word, you can't be saved. And John says in 1 John, he says, they went out from us. They were among us. They looked like Christians. They smelled like Christians, but they went out from us. That it might be manifested that they were never of us. Amen. So there are many who sit in the church today who look like us, but they're not of us. And only God knows. And he knows it all. And so these people here that are blotted out, that their names are removed from the book of life and all, these are folks who never have come to Christ at first. How can you be saved if you don't believe the word? Amen. And God honors his word above his name. Psalm 138 verse 2 tells us God magnifies his word above his name. The third thing we find here at the end of the book is a promise. Verse 20. And he who testifies to these things says, and here's the promise, Jesus saying, surely I am coming quickly. See, from God's perspective, you're running out of time. He says, I'm coming quickly. That's a promise. And John says, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Then he ends the book with grace. What a fitting end to the book, the last book of the Bible. Because it all begins with grace, and it ends with grace. And his grace is sufficient for us. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Praise his name. Hallelujah. Communion reminds us, communion reminds us that the curse is forever broken. Communion reminds us that there is a new creation that we will inherit. But it also reminds us that we can experience a new creation right now. For the Bible says, if any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand. Do you know for certain that you will be there on that day when the old heaven and earth passes away and the new comes into being? 
Say, Pastor Al, I don't know, but I want to know. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to know that I'm on my way to heaven. I want to know that my heart is right with God. I want to be found in his righteousness whenever I go or whenever he returns. My friend, you can know that your sins are forgiven today. You can know Christ today by simply opening your heart to him right now, sitting in that seat that God put you in for this hour, for this moment, watching online for this hour, at this hour, this moment, at Creekside, at this hour, this moment, God brought you there. You're there by divine appointment that you might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you desire to know that your sins are forever forgiven, that your name will never be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life, you can pray this prayer. You can simply say right there where you're seated, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe you are risen from the dead. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life this morning, this day. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And say this, make me a brand new creation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's probably a good thing today's message is titled A Glimpse of Eternal Glory because I'm afraid our minds would be blown by a full dose of what's on the way for a child of God. Well, now I must tell you that this message from Al Pittman brings to a close our journey through the Bible's final book. But remember, you can click in anytime at cwccs.org and under the media tab, find all these episodes of Pastor Al's teachings from Revelation and a whole lot more. And by the way, if these episodes have impacted you, I got two thoughts for you. First, tell a friend you know about them. Then, consider supporting this teaching platform. You can do both at cwccs.org. And that's it for now. We'll be back next time with an important new series on the family from Pastor Al. This media is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.